It's September the 4th, 2011. This is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Mike Benedetti. Today on the show is Virginia Ryan. Hi, Virginia. How are you? Hi, Mike. Fine. Very well. Thank you. Very good. And today on the show, Brendan Mallory. Morning, sir. How are you? Stylish as always. I'm... You know, I actually realized after I put this on that I think I've worn this same shirt the last three shows. So I apologize to our viewers that it's, I actually own more shirts. I think it's a scheduling thing. It's not a bad shirt. It shows up well on the camera. It's a nice shirt. So, so today is one of the shows where we're talking to uh, people who are running for city council this fall. We have some questions that we came up with over the last few months, and we've been trying to ask people the same questions, uh, sort of just to stay focused on the issues that we and the people who watch the show think are important. Today we're talking to Virginia Ryan. You're running for district council, right? District 1. District 1. And the incumbent in District 1 is Job Smith? Correct. Fantastic. Are you in the Are you in the preliminary? Is there a preliminary yes. election? That's the twentieth of September. It is. Okay, so it's like whoever comes out the best in the preliminary goes on to the final election. The two top ones. The two top people. All right, and there's a third person who is Tony Economo. Economo, yes. Economo. Okay. I never I never know how to say anybody's name. I, I read their names in the paper and I have no idea how to say their names. Um, so Virginia, what line of work are you in? I'm a retired school teacher. Okay. And you are involved with the Coalition of Worcester Retirees? Yes, we started our coalition four years ago. Okay. Fighting is, City Hall, by the way. Okay. Is, this, is, is the coalition like a union thing, or what is it? What is it? No, it's not really a union thing, but okay. I wish it was, okay. because then we would have more power. Uh -huh. uh, it is basically a, a coalition that we started with six teachers okay. calling from the MTA offices to tell people to go down to the Municipal Operation Committee meeting that following Wednesday. Mm. We were in, the, in there on Monday. We got a list from a retired teachers association, and we went down and made the phone calls. Mm. And because of that, the uh, vote for uh, putting us onto Medicare, Section 18, passing that, was delayed about a month. But we were told, I was told personally by one of the counselors, Dennis Irish, in fact, mm. that it was not going to be until September that it would be voted. So we started and we said, we're going to, we have three months to fight this. Mm. Well, we had a month. And, of course, we lost because it was already in the budget for... Okay. But you guys have continued to, to be a very active organization. Yes, we have. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, what is your position on school privatization? School privatization, you know, meaning charter, charter schools in general, sort of, sort of turning control of the schools over to private entities. Well, I, I have a problem with that, and I think that people have the right to send their kids to a charter school, but for private people to be running them, um, privatization, I think, no. And if they, and if that's the case, they take a lot of money out of the public schools budget. So um, that would be my take on it. Okay. Um, what is local government's role in regulating the day-to-day -day lives of citizens, and is there a limit? Of course there's a limit, and I think we've seen that in Worcester, that they've, uh, this present city council has overstepped that, especially mm -hmm. with the smoking ordinance. Um, the smoking ordinance was passed, I think, this past spring. This is like the, is it, this is the tobacco advertising ordinance, yes. or the no selling? No selling. No selling tobacco no, in no pharmacies selling, right. also, yeah. Right. I was a school teacher. I was a biology teacher. I used to tell kids not to smoke when I smoked myself. Mm. And they used to say to me, Miss Ryan, you tell us not to smoke, but you smoke. And I said, yeah, and I'm going to go off to the Quinsig Bridge this afternoon. You coming with me? But I quit. Yeah. And, and my brothers will tell you that I am a pain in the butt when it comes to, you know, t trying to 
tell them to stop smoking. Hmm. Didn't ma- didn't matter. They did it anyways until one had a heart attack. He quit the day before, hmm. and the other one had peripheral vascular disease. And I said to him, "Quit smoking," and he did. Hmm. So, the thing is that we all have problems with uh, smoking. I mean, it's a bad habit. Kids are getting hooked earlier and earlier. I think I started at 12, but. What you have to do is educate them, especially in grammar school. Um, when I taught at Worcester East Middle School, I ha- they had a science fair. When I saw the lungs were out from some uh, pathologist or somebody from UMass, mm-hmm. disease lung from from emphysema. Sure, oh, and, yeah. And I went over and I said, "Okay, I knew the smokers in my class." I said, "Come on over here," and one girl quit because she saw what happened to her lungs. Yeah. And I used to tell the kids, you know, you go. You go uh, walking anywhere or you go into a store and you see somebody with uh, oxygen, liquid oxygen that they're going around with? Sure. Probably smoking. Not always, but probably smoking in okay. prior years. So, you, so, ha- so you, have a, you have a long history of having troubles with smoking, but you don't feel like this kinds of things the city council is doing. Right. I quit when I was 38. Okay. So, so, but the thing is, tobacco is a legal product. And now they're going to prevent the pharmacies from selling cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And Mike Germain, Councillor Mike Germain, he made the most sense when he said about his father, how, you know, he used to light up three cigarettes by the butt of this, the previous one. Mm. And he said he hasn't smoked. He's made a pact with his son not to smoke. And, but he knows that people can go from a pharmacy and walk 10 feet over there and they can get it over another store. Mm-hmm. And I called him just to be funny, and I said to him, you know, I think they should also uh, do away with selling candy at pharmacies, because <laughs> yeah. obesity is another problem. There's a ton of unhealthy stuff you oh, can yeah. buy at a pharmacy. Right. The right. dentists would not stand for that. <laughs> the dentists need the business. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you, let me move on to the next question. What is your personal vision for the city? I would like to see this city back where it was years ago, okay. especially with a vibrant small business community. Hmm. Small businesses left in droves. And I think one of the reasons is the way they're treated. I have been door knocking. I have met many small business people. And I'll just give you one example. This man told me he had a computer, uh, computer store uh, uh, at Union Station. I think he was one of the first residents in that second floor. Okay. And then the city came to him and said, you have to move because we're having the FDR museum. No help. No help in movement. Do you think he's going to, I think he's still in the city, but he's thinking of getting out. But you don't move out an existing business to move in somebody else. Mm. You know, you could find it. There were so many sites downtown that they could have found for the FDI museum and probably had gotten more um, people to go to it, too. Right. So. Let me ask you, what do you think the city, what do you think the city can do to encourage small business? I think that they have to work with small businesses to to make sure they come here. There was an article recently in the Worcester Telegram about Green Street and how they're, I think it was Green Street, okay. and they're doing the street over and they're doing the sidewalks over. Right. And there was one shoe store that uh, catered to the elderly, and people can't, they can't walk down there. So his business is suffering. You know, you make some accommodation so that his business stays functional and thriving. Mm. Okay. Um. What is your review on the relationship between the city council and the city manager? I think the city council is not make is doing is not doing its job. I have okay. heard the city manager say, "I have 11 bosses." 
Mm -hmm. I don't see them as bosses. This is this is actually one concern that I have is that um, is that there's not a lot of leadership coming from the city councilors, and I don't think that there's also like a lot of desire to be leaders from the city councilors, which I guess could be a functional city government if they were all like small government libertarians. But as you point out with the tobacco thing, they're totally not. They're happy to exercise their power in every possible way. They just don't want to exercise any leadership. And I feel like I feel like power without leadership would be a good model for many of them. Um, but then somebody has to like somebody has to like get things moving in some direction. And so the city manager will become that person if it's not going to be an elected official. Do you do you do you feel like you would like to see yourself taking a leadership role as a city councilor or how would that work? Yeah, I would like to take a leadership role. I would like to work with the existing councilors and say, hey, listen, we're not treating the people of Worcester, especially the seniors, very well. For example, Joe Casello initiated this um, voluntary tax write-off program. It's available in every community outside of Worcester. Mm -hmm. It enables a person that, you know, owns a home to volunteer uh, to not take a union job, but to work in some capacity for so many hours and get up to uh, $1,000 off in some communities. Okay. Every community does it around Worcester hmm. and most of the communities. That went to the city manager's desk for a report three years ago. Hmm. It never had a report. This past January, after reading how um, Gardner reinstated theirs after a hiatus of 10 years, hmm. I petitioned the city council, and when I went before him, I said, now, stop me if you got that report. And nobody stopped me. Mm. And you know what they did with it? They referred it back to the city manager. Mm. We have been sitting at many, many of the council meetings because we petitioned for coalition bargaining to get the retirees a seat at the table, mm -hmm. and they immediately tabled our petition. No discussion, no vote. We tried, Mike Germain tried to get it off the, off the table. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So then, like, two, uh, maybe three, four months later, Mr. Clancy took the tabled item and put, filed it into the basket. Hmm. So, so this is why, after sitting there, time, day, a week after week, not the whole council meeting, we, I understand. I, we all we say, oh, here comes another report. You know, this, they're right, gonna, they right. keep asking for reports, and they don't care if they get them back or not. Hmm. Hmm. May I ask you the next question? Uh, do, what do you think about the idea of neighborhood councils? I think that's a great idea. I think the more people you get involved, and the more pe more people that know what's going on, I think that's an excellent idea. And w would you support neighborhood councils if you were a city councilor? I certainly would. Okay. Um, this next question is a long question about money which Brendan wrote, and so Come on. you can sort of... <laughs> ignore the whole Feel free to ignore the question. <laughs> we need to revise this question to make it more to the point, but I'm just going to read you this question, and then you can kind of take it the direction that you want to take it, and I'll ask some follow-ups if we need to. Um, where should the city draw the line in taking responsibility for development? Where should the city draw the line when selling off existing assets? How should the city be making its money? And what's the correct tax rate for Worcester homeowners? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we we can say, we could say the first one is like what it, what where should the city how how much responsibility does the, does city government have in economic development in the city? Well, obviously they should have more, and okay. obviously the three people that were just recently appointed to the economic development 
uh, three positions that were opened up, but they're only funded for a year. Mm. So, <clears throat> how, you know, if you, you're in there and you know you're not, you're not funded for the next year, who are you going to attract to those positions? Yeah. Um, I think that it's up to the counselors, too, to put, put things in. I've seen Councillor Germain do a lot of things. Mm. He, for example, he was the one that asked for the dependent audits of the um, city people on the health, an independent dependent audit. And okay. um, that wasn't done. The city manager chose to do mm. it his way. But um, he comes up with a lot of good ideas because he seeks these out. And uh, I hope that if I'm elected, I'll do the same. And one of the things I was thinking of, Boston has great um, economic development, mm -hmm. and I'd like to go sit down with that person and see how that can translate into Worcester. So let me. Another one of these money questions is, uh, how should the, how should the city be making its money, and what what should the tax rate be for Worcester homeowners? You know, just for people who don't follow this very closely, right now there's sort of different tax rates for uh, commercial property versus residential property in the city. And the tendency has been to pick the lowest. Uh, the, this is the, the state decides what the lowest rate you can charge for residential property. Where does that number come from? No, it, it comes from the city. The city, the city. Gets, well, the, the city needs to determine its tax levy. The way it works, it, it, we determine our tax levy, and then we kind of back that number into the tax levy if it's going to be a split. It's actually okay. four numbers too. It's not just residential, commercial. It's oh, actually really? residential, free space, commercial, and industrial. Uh -huh. And Worcester, we just tr choose to, to treat uh, commercial and industrial as the same number, okay. and we don't tax open space. Um, okay. Which, uh, str strangely, a lot of communities do. So, like, if you think of, like, say, the Greater Worcester Land Trust mm -hmm. and like all the uh, undeveloped land that, that, that they own. Um, technically, you could pick a number and you could tax that as you know as taxable uh, revenue generating land as well. We okay. just don't want to put our good friends the Novics out of business right now, so okay. we'll think that one through a little bit more. So we have so 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 the, so there's a there's a resident there's basically so there is basically in the city of Worcester at least a residential rate and a commercial, commercial industrial rate. yeah a commercial industrial rate okay and so I guess the so so back to for, thank you thank you Brendan Mellon for telling me <laughs> something about information. <laughs> um, so basically the question is like. Where should the city be getting its money from these days? Where should it be looking for new sources of money? And like, if, if God dropped stone tablets out of the sky with a tax rate on them and said, this is what I believe that the residential tax rate should be in Worcester, what would that number be? I'm not going to answer that because I don't know. But okay. let me tell you this. Worcester is $10 million under the tax levy. Okay. They could, and they did take $2 million of that because it used to be $12 million. Mm. And I think that the... Um, the sidewalks they're fixing, the streets that they're fixing, badly in need, ignored for years, that that's a good use of the money. Mm. Um, we are only one of three cities that it's below the tax levy. Okay. So there's money there, there's $10 million more. Wait a second, so what, what, what do you mean below the tax levy? Proposition two and a half that passed in the 80s, mm -hmm. and when I first got involved in the teachers union, fighting that, after the after effects of it when the school department had so many cuts and okay. programs and so on uh, they um, they uh, they can tax to a certain amount okay okay um, the two city, and a half be the city the can city. but they chose not to and to have this as, as did Cambridge but Cambridge has a thriving economy and Cambridge I think is about 300 million below tax levy so, but so, so the so, wait, so you're saying that the city of Worcester could could charge more in taxes. That's than it right. Is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they could they could go after that money that is below. Now, okay. you can't do it all at once. And you know, I am a supporter of small business. And my father owned a diner. Yeah. And owned and operated the Sherwood Diner, but 
and I see problems with small businesses because of the, the dual tax rate. Mm. But in this economy, and you have to look, look at the economy, and that's why I came out again uh, off of the lowest residential tax rate. Okay. Whatever it is going to be. Okay. I want the lowest. But I think if you attract more businesses in mm -hmm. and keep businesses in the existing one, yeah. then you're going to increase the tax base. And that's the way to do it. Right. So let me see this. By, by having the lowest residential tax rate, you're having a higher commercial tax. That's right. That right? Um, and that goes back to what I was saying about like, so it all starts with the tax levy. Like, so okay. the, it isn't really the, the, the floor that's set by the state or the city. It's the ceiling that's right. set. So like, this is the, like, that's this what is how much money in taxes you're allowed to raise. There's a potential tax, tax levy. Uh, once we determine what that levy is going to be, the overall uh, income for the city, and this is why it's weird that we do this before we even know what the budget's going to be for the fiscal year. Uh -huh. Then we back in into that number, both the residential rate and the commercial rate. So okay. even though those rates are still like, we use the terms lowest residential rate and you know highest commercial rate, if we actually tapped into the uh, tax levy that we, we kind of ignore, which I believe you're correct is mm -hmm. 10 million, it would shoot both those numbers up. Uh, a little mm. bit, right? And okay. that's why if you look at a 10-year history of, uh, you can go back further, but you look roughly a 10-year history, you can see how that number kind of bounces all over the place. Mm. And it goes up, it tends to go up when the economy is good, tends to go down when the economy is bad. And it's because like, we were talking about this a bit last week, I think, that it's tied to the assessment rate, which is where it ends up becoming kind of made up numbers, right? Because the assessment rate is a, uh, a byproduct of external for forces that... Like the, the value of property and exactly, housing market. Exactly, oftentimes has to do more with the value of... <clears throat> Uh, surrounding communities as opposed to the, the, the healthiness of the local economy. Right. right. This is where property values as a proxy for the healthiness of the local economy. It might actually be a flawed experiment. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, okay. I feel like we have we had some answer there. I want to jump back though. Yeah. Go for it. I want to jump back because this is another example. Can you show this? Yes. This People is... are not going to be able to see this very well. This, okay. is, uh, this is information about uh, uh, assess changing assessments on different property in the city. And here we're looking at Brew City well, on Shrewsbury Street, where the uh, the amount of taxes that they were going to pay every year between 2010 and 2011 was going to jump up $28,000. Did, did. did jump up $28,000 a year because of... An increase in their assessment. Because of... They were told it was because of these billboards on the top of the building, yeah. which is not even supposed to be in the assessment. Those are some that's, pricey that's, billboards. That's, that's private property. <laughs> so they that's taxed at a different rate. So right. Increasing the square footage because of the... There was no that, increase in the square nobody footage. Nobody is that what they're considering the billboards to be square footage? That I don't know what they're doing. I think it was a mistake and I think they've made a lot of mistakes and that's why I supported this woman, Joan Kroll, who uh, started this AWARE coalition and I'm continuing to support it because most of the people, most people who got an increase significant increase in their assessment not their taxes their assessment don't even know it right and as I door knock I ask people and I say to them did your assessment go up especially if they had a cape like I do mm -hmm. and they do they did so I said you know you, you got to put in file an abatement in some in many cases it was too late because you only got a month after you got the mm. tax bill Mm. And so, so I mean, we've talked. This is the other thing we've talked about too. Is that you know, for so many people, taxes are something that never comes into the picture. Because if you have a mortgage, 
those taxes oftentimes are caught up in, in, in an escrow account, right? So you never actually, it's not like you reach into your pocket and pull out three or four grand a year to pay your taxes, that your, your uh, mortgage company takes care of that. So when you're paying your monthly mortgage bill, you're paying a small percentage that actually goes, that goes into escrow that then pays off your tax bill quarterly. So like I've never actually paid a tax bill. I think I did once when, you know, for some reason there was a mix up with a mortgage company. So mm. if you ask me right now, Brendan, what do you pay quarterly in taxes? I would look at you and I have no idea. I do know just because from doing the show and whatnot that this year for some reason my assessment went down. Good but job. That's a rarity. No, I can't figure out for the life of me why that did. For most people, it's going through the roof and they're not catching on to it because it's not. It's a significant amount of money that the average person doesn't actually lay their hands on when they're paying it out. Right. So, so is so is this, so, so the suggestion here is that people should be, if they're not aware of what their assessed value is, they should be checking that out and then attempting to take steps. In case there's some sort of gigantic yeah, problem, it might only be you know a couple, a hundred bucks or 150 <laughs> bucks a month that's coming out of your you know monthly mortgage payment when you add that up you know as a yearly lump sum or 200 bucks whatever it may be a, a, a payment it just it is a significant amount of money and it is the the it's the primary source of revenue for the city right so I mean it, it is something that we should all kind of be keeping an eye on. Mm. And I'd like to add one more thing. Sure. Most people's assessment went down this year. Yeah. Because of the fact that, you know, their assessment value was based on the sales in 2009. Mm. Um, there were some people like Assessor Ford who went down significantly. Okay. Um, Wait, but he did the assessor's he, assessment went down? Uh-huh. I wonder how that happens. Uh, I don't know. How does that happen, Mike? I don't know. <laughs> the assessor's assessment? I have no comment. I know nothing about this. <laughs> Somebody needs to assess the assessor. <laughs> uh, but anyways... People, uh, it's, you can easily check your assessment. Mm. You go online, the city website, you click on uh, public documents, then you click on property values. You can scroll down and scroll your street. Boom, you have everybody's assessment on your street. You can even look at strangers' assessments. That's so right. you can. It's kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy. You can find out a lot of information about people in the city by just playing around with the city website. The internet's a powerful thing, Michael. Virginia, I'm going to ask you two two policy questions and then two non-policy questions, and then I think we'll be done with the show today. Um, would you support zoning changes to encourage mixed-use, diverse development of existing neighborhoods to encourage walkability? Yes. Okay. And that's a good answer. And um, I wanted to ask you about your so you, I wanted to ask you about your work with the Coalition of Worcester Retirees because I think there's, there's a line of argument which I'll attempt to faithfully say here, which is that um, for the financial health of the city, it's very, one of the, th one of the things that the city can actually do is like negotiate hard with the unions, because that's like a big part of where the city budget is spent is people who do work and those people are unionized. And that somebody who's coming from a background of being a union person or, you know, a semi-union organization like the Coalition of Worcester Retirees is just going to sort of weaken the city's bargaining position with the unions. <laughs> And so and it hasn't happened in all of the other communities which have adopted uh, coalition bargaining, okay. which are many in Massachusetts. And by the way, they did not adopt coalition bargaining just to give the retirees a seat at the table. In every case, they have um, uh, the reason for adopting it is mm -hmm. because the city or the town um, made money. For example, Quincy has half the population of Worcester okay. and half the retirees of Worcester. Okay. They saved $10 million okay. when they went into coalition bargaining. What do you think the dynamic is that, that makes it so that that's a money saver for these communities? I think it's because, you know, for example, health care, mm -hmm. the insurance, it's skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And that's another problem. I think that's the basic problem that has okay. to be addressed in the state. 
but unfortunately is not being addressed in the state legislature. Uh, because, and therefore it's going to continue, and therefore it's going to be continuing to increase co-pays and, and deductibles for everyone. Okay. Um, but to tell you about coalition bargaining, the city manager wanted all of the, the unions on 25%, and he negotiated with that. Okay. Retirees, we went on 25%. What, wait, what do you mean went on 25%? 25% of us, what it would call the supplemental plans. Okay. All right. We have, most of us are in Medicare, but there are lots that maybe 25 or 20% that aren't. Mm -hmm. So you always have to have, with Medicare, you also have to have another plan. Uh, and then also with people that are um, seniors or retirees, they have the option of the plans that the city offers to its employees. Okay. But if you were retired on April, um, January 1st, 2008, if you were retired, you were paying 25% okay. of the premium. Sure. The city manager didn't raise his in the other non-union members. Uh, non-union non employees at City Hall hmm. to 25% till 18 months later. Hmm. I have a problem with that. Hmm. But anyways, the uh, coalition bargaining would give retirees a seat at the negotiating table, and that's why we continue. And the manager has said that he'd consider it after everybody was at 25%. Do I believe he will? Who knows? Like, you know, the, uh, I think in a way to answer your question, too, like what, what would be the difference between those communities in Worcester? I think in Worcester we still presume that collective bargaining, the relationship between collective bargaining and the administration needs to be an adversarial relationship, mm -hmm. which is a falsehood, right? I mean, and it's kind of like announcing in advance that we're going to have a knife fight here, uh, which means that you, you know someone's going to sneak in a gun, right? Like if you announce in advance okay. what the rules are going to be, someone's going to go to break them. So I think a lot of communities have realized that collective bargaining doesn't need to be an adversarial relationship between the administration and the unions, that if you can actually work together, you end up with an, uh, an employee base that respects its relationship with the city, mm -hmm. but also realizes no one's re going to be reaching into their pocket and grabbing as many nickels as they can uh, before anyone realized what happened. I'm going to ask two. I'm going to ask two non-policy questions, and then we can do a follow-up if we have any few minutes. Have you have you ever seen have you ever seen the TV show The Wire? No. Okay. Well, I actually so that's that's a legitimate answer. I never would encourage anybody to watch TV. Somebody actually the, the other day asked me, "What is The Wire?" Because we always talk about this on the show when we're talking to these people. It's this HBO show about the city of Baltimore from a few years ago. It's one of these shows that people like geek out on so much that if you have a friend who's watched The Wire and you ask them about The Wire, they're going to like talk to you about the show for 20 minutes. They're graduate level courses. It's a good so show. It's very, it's a very interesting show because it's, a, it's all about, it's, it's, all, it's like a cops and robbers show, but it spends a lot of time t discussing municipal dynamics. Mm -hmm. Although I don't know if it talks about union, like union pension bargaining kind of stuff the on the show. The union stuff comes up with uh, uh -huh. season two. Season two, with, the uh, dock workers. With the dock workers, right. but also in season four when they go through education. They That's talk right. a lot about the uh, power struggles between teachers and the administration. The other question is, do you know how much you can bench press? What? <laughs> you know what I want to, want to do it now? <laughs> we should we have a fight. Not, we always talk about, about how we should bring the bench out and find this out. I don't know. You, you know what? I do a lot of gardening. <laughs> or I did a lot of gardening. I wish I was in the garden right now, actually, because it's so relaxing. But I'm, I'm determined to hit every street in this district and door knock and talk to as many people as I can. Um, so I, But to answer your question, I don't bend... Uh, you don't, you don't like, do weightlifting no. or anything like that? No. Okay. What I do is take bags of um, uh, like soil, soil and, and everything else and put them in my garden. So. All right. You're pretty strong. Yes, I am. All right. We, do, we probably, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see after the preliminary. Maybe we can get everybody out here and we can just, we can just figure it out. Does that mean I have to get practice? <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know. You, you can think about how you want to prioritize your time until then. Do you have any? We have any more questions for Virginia? We I have about so. two minutes left. All no, right. Do you have anything? Else? We have we have about two minutes left. If you want to say one quick thing, I want to say one quick thing. Go is for it. Get out and vote on on primary day. There's a a on the eighth of September. There is a debate between all three candidates at, at Zion Lutheran Church. In district, for District 1. For District 1. All right. And I just read about the uh, abysmal turnout in District 3. Oh, my goodness. If you want to be informed, if you want to know the differences in the candidates, make sure you come to that debate. There you go. District 1, we're going to be yep. watching. You need to step up or we're going to call you, you out on this show. We have one minute left. Well, real quick, I mean, the one thing that we haven't talked about, now I think you might be one of the first district councilors that we've talked to, is um, Asian Longhorn Beetles. Real quick, I mean, how do you think that's been handled? That seems to be it's a huge issue for your district and only your district. I think it's been handled very poorly in the Greendale, Burncoat area. Mm. I live in the Burncoat area. As I go through the west side, because I did the Ward 2 where I live, knowing that I'm, I'm, I don't want to be hot and humid and every, you know, hot and sweaty every day. Yeah. So now I'm doing the west side. And if I talk to somebody, I say, you see these maple trees here? If they're not inoculated, sooner or later, the ALB will get them. Mm. The USDA said that they were going to inoculate for three years. They haven't. They've only inoculated for one year and they stopped the program. Mm. There's something wrong with that. Mm. I've done the research. And the communities where they've eradicated, takes 10 years, for, for example, Chicago, Staten Island, and these other places, they have eliminated the ALB by inoculations. One man, top of Fail Street, beautiful uh, standing on a stoop on you a hot... You got about 30 seconds okay. left. Anyways, he paid for his trees to be inoculated the first year. Hmm. Second year, USDA did it. This year, he did it again. They're still looking for the ALB. Every tree around there, every maple tree has been cut down. You know how much that cost, Benny? It was, uh, he's got four birch and one maple. It was $400, he told me. For all of them? Yep. And you know what? If I had known that, I would have had my city tree inoculated. Like we need to start an inoculation business. $100 a tree. $100 a tree. Not a big deal. Virginia, thanks for being on the show. Good luck. Everyone, thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next week.